Hey, let's grab our Bibles this morning, and we are going to go to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And uh, of course, we are continuing on in our series of the year of the Bible. Uh, we are in part number three, where we are talking about the kings and the prophets. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about how this section really goes uh, for a long time. Matter of fact, it actually leads us all the way into the New Testament. And so it is um, a lot of kings to cover, a lot of prophets to cover, but there's a lot of great things, um, obviously, inside of the Bible. We know that to be true. Um, and if you're reading along with the Read Scripture app, you will know um, that as we are journeying through this whole deal, um, it's leading us to the truth that we have in this series. And I know it becomes mundane, and I know it becomes repetitive. But I believe it is something that we have to consistently, consistently remind ourselves of. And as you read the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we believe the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. I was talking last week with a pastor, and you know there are a group of people who would say that preaching on the Old Testament is something that needs to be done away with. Matter of fact, if I was to name the gentleman who is responsible for that statement— it might surprise you, and I won't because I don't think that's proper. Maybe in a personal setting, maybe a little bit different, but not from a stage. I don't think it needs to be addressed. But I will say this. When you take the Old Testament and you throw it out because the New Testament is more prevalent or more towards us, you're missing out on the beauty of God in Scripture. If the New Testament is the only thing that we are to do because the old is gone, the new covenant is in, well, then we're missing out on a side of God that we need to understand. And in this series, I really felt as I've even too myself have begun to dive into the Bible all the way from the beginning, all the way to the end, I have consistently been reminded of God's grace and God's mercy, even in the Old Testament. Because it's easy for people to say, well, God of the Old Testament, he was a mean God, and he did this, and he did that, and well, I don't understand all that. But if you look at it, especially, I mean, we're, we're going on week 20, I believe, week 20 or 21. Man, through all of the stories, God has shown tremendous grace and tremendous patience with people who at one moment say God is everything, and then at the very next minute, go to their own way. So we, we could all agree God's been faithful about that, amen? So it's worth noting. So again, we believe everything that we do in this series, it points to Jesus. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, it's all about Jesus. Good, good. All right. So who are we talking about today? If you're taking notes, we are talking about Elijah. Elijah, 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 who will eventually turn it over to Elisha. Now today, if I accidentally say Elisha, I really mean Elijah. Matter of fact, I might just call him Jah today so I don't get it, so I don't get it messed up. We're talking about Elijah. Now the prophet Elijah in the Bible is really a very interesting and very um, colorful person. Um, we see God using him in a very tumultuous time um, in the scriptures, especially referring to, to Israel and the children of Israel. So what I want to do real quick is I want to give you kind of the, the big overviews of Elijah's life and some of the stories and some of the happenings so we could understand just how powerful th this prophet was. Elijah is a, is a powerful prophet. Now he comes on the scene in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. And when he comes on the scene, he is approaching a gentleman by the name of Ahab. Everyone say Ahab. Um, and I'm going to pause right here. Timmy, I don't know if you can see it, but I think the lights are changing colors. I'm not sure, or I have something going on. So I just see the carpet turning colors the whole time. And so I'm like, what? I don't know what's going on, but I feel like it's either going to make me a better preacher or a very distracted preacher. That's cool. I'm uh, not quite sure. Um, so people say when the devil fell from heaven, he found the sound system. Well, today he decided the light system. So uh, <laughs> he fell to hell, guys. That's where he goes, okay? He didn't fall in none of that. So if you've been on a worship team, you understand that statement right there. You, you've heard it to be true. But Elijah, he comes on the scene, and the time that Ahab um, was, was in, the, it was in the, the culture of the time was from 874 to 853. Okay, so he had about nine years 
of reign. And um, Ahab was not a, a godly king. Matter of fact, he was married to a woman by the name of Jezebel, who we're going to get to here a little, a little bit on. But we, we know the, the great story of Elijah and the, and the woman with a son, and she was a widow. We, we know the story where he went and he was asking for something to eat. It was going to be their very last meal. And re, when you read the story of the count, man, it's a fascinating story. When, when you, you would think that God would tell a guy by the name of Elijah, who's a prophet, to go to a house of someone that had more than enough. Yet God sends Elijah to the house of a widow who has just enough for one more meal. And the prophet says, give me that. There are some truths in that story that, that I would love to. I think we just need to do an online little get together real quick and take that story and break it down to see the lessons that God was showing not only Elijah, but also the widow on how God can provide with anything. It's a fascinating story. So we see that story begin to take place. It's a good read. It's in 1 Kings. We also see the story of Elijah raising a young man from the dead. Now, of course, it is God through Elijah that made it happen, but that's a fascinating story in the Old Testament. God performed a miracle. He raised the dead in the Old Testament, just not in the New Testament. Furthering my case, the Old Testament really matters. Uh, we, we see that story begin to take place. So not only is he a tremendous prophet, but he's also a guy who performs miracle that God works through him. We also see in 1 Kings 18, and this is going to be the story that we talk about here in just a moment, we see the story of Baal. Oh my goodness. Fascin I'm using that word fascinating a lot. Fascinating story on how they think they have their gods. Elijah puts them to the test, and man, it gets, it gets crazy. It's also worth mentioning that even though there were a lot of highs in the life of Elijah from, from pro prophesying on behalf of God to performing miracles, his life was also filled with a lot of turmoil. And a lot of people don't talk about this in the life of Elijah. At times, he was very bold. He was very decisive. But at other times, he was very fearful. And he was very tentative. It's amazing how the bold ones can also be the tentative ones as well. I think sometimes we don't realize that those that are bold and that God used in a mighty way sometimes fight battles that we never see. And it goes back to understanding the human nature that we are in just, indeed that, we are human. We're, we're not God. And so while God can use us mightily, there's also things in our lives um, that could really go. Elijah knew both the power of God, but he also knew the, the depths of depression. When we read the account today, we're going to see that, that, that he faced a time in his life, even though God did a miraculous thing, there was a time in his life where he fled and he battled depression. I don't find it to be a coincidence that in the month of May, we're talking about a guy today by the name of Elijah who battled depression. As many of you guys know, May is the month of mental health, mental awareness. And in the church for far too long, it has been a stigma. There have been a group of people that would say that if God is truly God, then you shouldn't have depression, that you shouldn't battle it. And if you do, there's, there's something wrong with you. You're not trusting God or you're not doing this. And the thing that we have to understand is simply this, that even from today and even to the days of the Bible, the most powerful people of God still battled depression. And so I want to take a moment to say this, whether you're in here or watching by screen, you got to understand that if you're battling an emotional or a mental health issue, that God is still God, and God can heal, and God can do it in many different ways. I'm telling you, God can, just like that, he can use the wisdom of man, he could use the, the wisdom of medicine. So we don't like to talk about this, but it's, it's the truth. God knows what he's doing, and God knows how he has educated many. So that's why we say this, behind every face, there's a story. Everyone's got a story. But sometimes people are fighting battles that you are completely unaware of. So that's why it's our goal to be like Jesus and to be loving and to be kind and to be full of joy. And then sometimes we just simply sit around and we put our arm on someone's shoulder. Did you guys know there was a ministry? There's a ministry called the Ministry of Presence. You want to know what that means? 
That means if someone's going through a hard time, just show up. Rick Warren put it this way. He said, show up and shut up. I thought that was pretty powerful. Want to know why a lot of us don't show up when people are battling? Because we don't know what to say. But what if you just showed up and you sat in the room and you put your arm around someone? Elijah, he battled depression and yet he was still used by God. And, and, we're going to get to it. It's going to be good. It's going to be fascinating. And God still moved in his life. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful deal. We also know that Elijah... He didn't die a natural death. Did you know that? Matter of fact, when you look at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, guess who's there? Moses and Elijah. You guessed it. He didn't die. Woo, that's pretty cool. There's another guy in the Bible, too, who didn't die. You guys know his name? It's in Genesis. Starts with an E. Enoch. The Lord took him, for he was not. It says because he walked with God, by the way. Ooh, what I loved about Elijah, I know I'm giving you an overview. What I loved about Elijah is he struggled with typical human frailties, yet he was used by God mightily. If you're here today and you're battling with something in your life and you feel weak, I want you to look at these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. For the Bible says in verse 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, whose strength? God's strength. For God's strength is made perfect in weakness. When you're weak, when you're battling, when you're struggling, God says, boom, that's where my power is made great. I, I think sometimes when we're struggling and we're weak, we should be praising. Because when we're weak, God is strong. So when you're having a rough day, you can say to God, God, having a rough day, but in my weakness, I know your power is made great. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. Notice these words, pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. In other words, in stressful times for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, man, I love this, then I am strong. Elijah's life reflects the man of weakness and God's power being made great. If I was to give you big takeaways of Elijah's life, I would say that they are this. God always meets your needs, both physically and spiritually and emotionally. If you read the life of Elijah from 1 Kings 17 and on, until he's just there no more, you find God will always meet your needs. We also see that God encourages us to examine our own thoughts and our behaviors. We're going to see that in just a moment. We would see that God instructs us on how to proceed in the days ahead. If you're here and you don't know what the days ahead look like, and you're worried about it, or you're full of anxiety, or you don't know the decision that you have to make, you can trust by the example of Elijah and what God did in his life that God has your next days completely planned out. God's gonna show you how to proceed. And I love this one. I think a big takeaway we see from the life of Elijah is God assures us that we're never alone. You might battle, you might battle loneliness in a way that nobody else will understand. But friend, can I just tell you, with God, you're never alone. God is everything that you need him to be when you need him to be it. You're never alone. Elijah thought, and I know I keep referencing the story, that he was alone. And God showed himself mightily. For the remainder of the time, I want us to take a look at a story that we've looked at before. But then what I want to do is I want to present us with something that I think we all need to wrestle with. As I begin to pray, as I do every week, as is accustomed to the way that I feel God's shown me on how to prep for a message, I always pray this prayer. God, I don't want to speak my intellect. I want to speak your words. And although God has placed you under the care of Vanessa and I as pastors, we understand the responsibility to shepherd, which is funny, my last name, shepherd. 
we understand the responsibility to shepherd you. But my question is always, hey God, what, what is it that you would want to be said in the time that we have with your church and with your people? And so as I read through the stories of Elijah and all the different things, I, I couldn't get away from the story that we're getting ready to read. Let me just get it, kind of give you the backdrop of it, okay? Here's the heads up of what you need to know. The kingdom is split. Uh, we learned last week that there was a northern king, kingdom and there was a southern kingdom, and Ahab is in control. Now Ahab, very simply put, turns his back on God, marries a woman by the name of Jezebel, who Jezebel is actually in charge of the prophets who we're getting ready to speak about. She has control over them. She's not a godly woman. So what happens is, is God instructs Elijah to go to King Ahab. Now remember, Elijah's a prophet. What does a prophet do? He prophesies on behalf of God. A prophet hears from God and shares a word. And most of the times, if not all of the times in the scripture, when a prophet speaks, it's usually not a very popular message to the person that they're speaking it to. You gotta understand, prophets, they, they, they work in, a, in an arena of boldness that I don't even think a lot of us can fully wrap our heads around. A prophet could give a word on behalf of God and their life be taken because of it. That's how, so, so when we see that this person got up and it says they stood before the king, we don't understand what that really means or what it looks like, or we don't feel the pressures because it, it's different today than it was back then. It was no easy task to do this. And so Elijah says, hey king, look, Here's the deal. Because the people have turned their back on God, because you've turned your back on God, because people are doing whatever they want, um, I'm letting you know a huge drought is getting ready to happen. Now, we all kind of know what that was a few years back. California was in a drought. Man, it affected, I don't know how many times we could water our lawn. But we didn't feel a, a, an immeasurable threat that we weren't going to have drinking water. So, so when I say drought, respectfully, I don't even think we fully understand just how bad this drought was going to be. We're talking no water to drink. So he goes to Ahab and he says, look, here's the deal. Um, the water's going to be gone. And Ahab's like, okay, yeah, whatever. Doesn't really care too much about what, what the prophet's saying and kind of just writes it off a little bit. So Elijah gives the word, goes away, and then what God does is God says to Elijah, okay, look, here's the deal. You need to get out of here. God says to Elijah, you need to get out of here because when the drought happens, people are going to blame it on you. They're not going to blame it on me. So Elijah gets out. And here's what the Bible says. This is so good. Elijah gets out, and the Bible says that God takes care of him. It says that he was fed by the ravens, which is funny to me, ravens out of all things, fed by them. You know, they talk a lot about how drones are going to be dropping off our food in the future, you know? Like God is so far ahead of time. He's like, you guys can have your silly drones. I could use the birds to do so. <laughs> people think they're so smart and so good. God's been doing this since day one, people, okay? They, they're just now figuring it out. So I think maybe somewhere down the road, someone was reading this in scripture and thought, oh, that's funny. A bird brought this guy. I have an idea. And they think they're smart. It came from God. Did, did, matter of fact, did you know, uh, fun fact, at Michael Jordan's golf cart, when you're golfing, a drone literally drops off food to you on the golf course? Didn't know? Cool, now you know. Uh, anyways, so like I said, I get all here. So, so God feeds him by that. It also says that he put him by a brook of water and he could drink. So everything's going into a drought God's taking care of his man, the prophet. Three years go by, the drought comes, and it's gotten bad. So what does God do? God speaks to Elijah and says, okay, it's time for you to go back. So Elijah goes back, and he finds Ahab, and a conversation begins to take place. And all of a sudden, we're getting ready to have ourselves a battle on whose God is really real. You may have heard of the story. It's the story of Baal. So Elijah says, hey, here's the deal. How about you get your 400 prophets? I'm going to get me, and we're going to go up to Mount Carmel. You call upon your God and see if he brings rain and water, and I'll call upon my God and see if my God does it. So Ahab goes out, grabs the 400 prophets, 
They go on up. They get there, and you can read this story. It's really fascinating. Matter of fact, um, if you're wondering where mocking came from, I think it originated in this story right here, and I'll tell you why. Because these guys, these prophets, start setting up their altars and their sacrifices and all this stuff, and nothing is happening. They're calling on their little gods, plural. Nothing's taking place. They're dancing, they're shouting, they're yelling, they're cutting themselves. I mean, if you want to talk about a chaotic scene, get into your mind how chaotic this is and how intense it got and how crazy it got because guess what? Those little gods, they weren't making it rain. So then when you go read the story, you know what Elijah's off to the side. He goes, hey, maybe you should do this or maybe your gods are sleeping or, or maybe, they're, maybe they're tired or, or maybe they're just stuck on a Netflix show and they, they're too busy for it. And he starts mocking them like crazy and nothing's happening. It's crazy. I'm like, I, I like this guy, Elijah, now a lot. So then it's, it's Elijah's turn. Now remember, they're in a drought, okay? But the king would probably have some water. He's in charge. So Elijah goes and he starts to build the altar. Now, I'm not that smart, but I'm smart enough to know that if you want to start a fire, dry wood will get the job done. We'd all agree upon that. You know what Elijah does? He gets it all set up and he starts dumping water on top of the wood. Wet wood doesn't burn too good. Now I know that because I've done that myself. Vanessa the whole time, babe, not going to work. To make a long story short, Elijah calls on God. The rain comes the one true God, the rain comes. Whoa! Can you imagine being there in that moment? Here's a fun part of the Bible. When you read the Bible, put yourself in the moment. What would you be thinking in that moment after watching a group of people, 400 of them, just go insane and crazy and do all this stuff and see nothing happening? The sky is blue. And then all of a sudden, Elijah gets set up. He gets all this stuff going. He goes over. He's dumping water. And they're probably thinking to themselves, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Royal Rangers 101. He was a bad buckaroo. This isn't going to happen. And then he calls upon the one and true God. The clouds, they start to roll in. Well, we'll call this a, a Florida storm. They come in. The lightning begins to come. The thunder rolls. I'm not talking about a Garth Brooks song. And all of a sudden, boom, rain comes down. What would you be thinking? I'll tell you what they thought. That guy, he knows the one and true God. They get it. Do you know what happens to them, though? The people begin to see that the prophets with the false gods led them astray. So the people, they killed the 400 prophets. Oh, this is where it gets real good. This is where it gets real good. Then Ahab comes to Elijah. He has his aha moment. He's like, your God is the real God. And Elijah says to him, it's in 1 Kings 18, he says, you need to go and run back into town and let them know the storm is coming, the rain is coming, get the alarm, it's getting ready to pour. So Ahab runs back and he has a conversation with a woman by the name of Jezebel. Now you would think that this conversation would go really well, really good. It doesn't. You ever got into a conversation where you're going to talk with someone and you had all your bullet points set up and then you kind of thought to yourself, I could see them acting this way and then it not happen? Yep, that's the story. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets 
with the sword. Don't mess with Elijah. Now again, all these prophets were under her charge, not Ahab. Jezebel was the one who put all these prophets into play. So, verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, watch here, may the gods, look at that, lower G, S at the end. She still don't get it. May all the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, and then the key word, if by this time tomorrow, say tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. Translation, Elijah, I'm coming after you and you're going to die for what you just did. She is mad. She's going to come after him. So from our perspective, seeing what God did on Mount Carmel, let me just ask you a question. If you're a bystander watching this whole scenario take place, Elijah just called down fire from heaven, rains come, would you look at Elijah and say, hey, if God did that, you don't really have to worry about her? Of course you would. If you're Elijah, wouldn't you just step back and go, all right, not to be mean, not to be rude, but I've got God and you're just Jezebel. I'm not worried about you. You would think that that would be the case. Look at verse three. The very next verse. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Okay. Okay, hold on. Let's get in the story here. In the now, he was okay. But what was he worried about? Tomorrow. He listened to the words of a godless lady. Over the words and the powerful acts of God. Let it sink in. So, I, I would have to think that if I was to look at your lives, everyone just look at me real quick. If I was to look at your lives, and now we've known each other, some of us for about five years now, some of us a little bit less, but having a relationship with, with those here, and I'm assuming those watching online, I would have to say that I have seen God's faithfulness in your life. I'm, I'm looking at my friend Kenny. I, I, I'm looking, I mean, I, I could say in Kenny's life, I've seen God's faithfulness in his life. I was out to, to eat with Uriah and Joy a couple weeks ago. They're getting ready for their big moves, graduating from Cal Poly, got his next job set up. We're happy for them, applauding them, selfishly mad. God, no. But as they told us the story of how God opened up the doors for their next step, it's so God. If I was to look at all of your lives and say, I'd say, I've seen God's faithfulness time and time again, over and over. And I think we would all have something to fall back on to say that even if a hard time comes, God's always been good. Yeah. Has it been rough? Have I learned some things? Absolutely. But I would say, hands down, there is far more good than there is bad, which would lead us to believe that God is who he said he is. He is faithful. That's God. Even when we are low on faith and without faith, he's still faithful. We would all say that. And I think if a situation came in your life, and I saw fear, or worry, or doubt, I would have enough to say, hey, God's been faithful to you. There ain't nothing to worry about. I want you to write this down. God's faithfulness of the past is your confidence for today and the future. I'm gonna break it down in a minute. God's faithfulness of the past 
is your confidence for today and for the future. What did Elijah just do? He forgot. How about in the New Testament? What did the the disciples do after the feeding of the 5,000 when they were in the middle of the boat or they were in the boat in the middle and the storm came? They feared for their lives, forgetting what Jesus just did. See, when you forget what Jesus has done in your past and you face something in today, you will always worry about your future when you forget what he's done in the past. That's why you have to consistently be thankful for what God has done in your life and remember those things. Write them down if you have to. I know I'm a guy, and it's not too much of a, of a guy thing to say, but grab yourself a journal and write that down so you can go back and see what God has done. Elijah forgot. So the story goes on. When he came to Beersheba and Judah. Now, Judah is the southern kingdom. So he has left the country about 100 miles away. How long does that take for them back then? Two-week journey. For two weeks, he has ran for his life. He is exhausted and he is tired. It says in verse four, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I said he battled with depression. There it is. He said this, Lord, I've had enough. You ever had enough? Have you noticed how it just takes one thing to tip you over? He's had enough. God, I've had it. Then he says these words, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Wow. In other words, I'm better off dead. Verse five, then he laid down under the tree and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there was by his head some bread baked over hot coals. We're gonna call that sourdough bread. Angel got that starter going. Woo! A jar of water with some lime sprinkled in it. And he ate, and he drank, and then he laid down again. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. Watch here. For the journey is too much for you. Oh, God's faithfulness right there. You may say, take my life. God says, I'm not done yet. You may feel like not much more to live for. God says, I'm not done yet. You might have a situation in your life that nobody in here knows and your future looks bleak and God says, I'm not done yet. I'm God. You're not. So God is saying, you're killing yourself. You're all stressed out. You're worrying. Just get up and eat a meal because I've got a plan. That's what I love about God. You may feel it's over. God says, I'm just getting started. What did it say in Corinthians? In your weakness, my power's made great. So God's saying, it's time to keep going. So look at at verse eight. So he got up and he ate and he drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days, 40 nights. What's 40 mean? Trial, temptation, series of proving yourself. No coincidence, okay? Even though God's fed him, do you think Elijah, as he was traveling for 40 days and 40 nights, probably still had some doubt? Probably. Every day, God, I'm not sure. I'm going to keep going. God, I got to give up. Got to keep going. Spends over a month. And he travels to a place called Horeb. As Nate comes. Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, many of us don't know Horeb, but you know what you do know? Mount Sinai. Horeb is Mount Sinai. Horeb is where Moses saw the burning bush. Horeb is where God gave the Ten Commandments. Horeb is where the Jewish people believed, watch here, that God hung out at. And it's no coincidence 
that Elijah finds himself in Horeb. Spends over a month traveling to this deserted, lonely, uninhabited place to die, but yet at the same time as close to God as he could possibly get. Oh, it gets good. Verse 9, 1 Kings 19. And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. Oh, I love it because God didn't give up on him. God's still speaking to him. And he asks him this question, which will be the same question that I propose to all of us today. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? You're miles and miles away from where you're supposed to be. Running out of fear and worry and doubt and anxiety because of the words of one person. It's like God just having a conversation just like you and I are. Hey, Elijah, what are you, what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be there? And I thought about that a lot. That question. What are you doing here? And then I thought about you. And I thought about my life at times. Where maybe you have or haven't, or I know I have. That I've allowed the words of others. to cause me to step away from what God had told me to do. I allowed the things of life, the hardship and the struggle to become so much bigger than God that in some way, whether it was emotionally, sometimes spiritually, even sometimes physically, have walked away from what I know God said. Maybe you have too. Maybe there's been something in your life that shook you to the core of who you were and you ran. And my question to all of us is when that happens is this, is why are you there? Maybe you've got some things in your life that are weighing you down. Elijah worried. He was in fear. I cannot tell you how many believers I know that live consistently in worry and doubt and fear and anxiety. And some of them even wave it over like a badge of honor. It's because I care so much. I'm allowed to worry. No, you're not. What does that mean I don't care? Didn't say that. Now you're saying, Pastor Rich, you can't say that. I didn't say it. Jesus did. Jesus said, don't you worry. I'm going to read it to you here in just a moment, so that way you don't get mad at me. But we've all done it. Something's taken place, and whether it is physically or emotionally or in our minds, we have literally wandered to a place, and when we got there, God is saying, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to think like that. You're not so, supposed to believe that. I'm God. I've got you. I've got everything planned out. Don't worry about that. Don't fret about this. Don't keep yourself up at night not sleeping because you don't know what you're going to do. No, 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 no. I give my beloved sleep. So you're not supposed to stay up and toss and turn. You're supposed to put your head down and have dreams like no other and to wake up refreshed and renewed. That's what God would say. 
But friend, have you got yourself to a place where you shouldn't be? This is what God's saying. What are you doing here? So what does God say to Elijah? Elijah replied, well, I've been very zealous for you, Lord. The Israelites, they've rejected your covenant. They've tore down your altars. And they put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. You want to know what Elijah's response was? Is What do you think I'm doing? I'm running because they want to kill me, God. I, I don't know if you responded that way. But Lord, did you just expect me to stay there under their threat? Do you, Lord, do you see what's going on around me? I mean, he, that's what he's saying. I'm the only one left, God. You know what God does? Oh, my goodness. Verse 11. God doesn't even answer that. As if to say, stop whining. It says in verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, I don't know about you, that sounds really cool. If I'm Elijah, I'm going, gotta see that. He doesn't. Go read it for yourself. He doesn't. He stays in the cave right where he is. So you know what God does? <laughs> so good. Verse 11, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. Ooh, get the mental picture. You're sitting in a cave. You can hear that wind. And as you look out of that cave, you see rocks breaking and falling because of wind. But God's not in the wind. Gets better. Verse 11. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. You ever seen an earthquake? Pretty destructive. I think there is a moment where you go, wow, and then, oh, but guess what? Lord wasn't in it. And after the earthquake, verse 12, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there came a gentle whisper, a whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God is saying to him, look, Elijah, if there's no me, I understand why you're afraid. But because there is a me, you don't have to be. And friends, I would say the same thing to you. If there is no God, then what you're worrying about, what has you up at night, what has you worried, yeah, you could be afraid. You could be concerned. You can take your worry and you can live with it. But there is a God. What are you doing there? He's not in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire. Timmy, you might want to go to a wide shot here. He's in the whisper. Some of us, we're looking for God to do something that is so in the obvious and out in the open. And you don't need that. You need to get alone with God and you need to let him whisper and tell you it's going to be all right. The Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. Let's put the last scripture on the screen, MJ. You're doing such a great job on that computer, buddy. Let's look at what Jesus had to say. 
and then we'll pray. And then we're going to baptize someone. It's going to get rowdy in here. Everyone said, it's going to get rowdy. Matthew chapter 6. We got that one? Awesome. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't love two. You can't serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Oh, Jesus is about to hit it with us good. I'm turning my back to the camera. Sorry, I'm excited. Look at the birds of the air, for they do not soar, reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Elijah, you're worrying about Jezebel. Can anything come to you for that? No. You can't. You can't add a single second, minute, hour, year, day to your life. Going on. Next verse. Sorry. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, oh, we talked about him a couple weeks ago, in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Watch here. This is the only time in Scripture where Jesus puts these two words together. It's nowhere else in the Bible. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, who are the pagans? The ungodly, the unbelievers. Probably those 400 prophets. They run after all these things. That's our world today, in case you were wondering. Got to make that money. Got to get more. Got to buy more. Got to get this. Got to get that. Okay, God, I'll get my word in later tonight. I promise I'm going to pray. I'll make church a priority. I'm going to serve. Just, just hold on. I got to go work this job. God, I have all this stuff, Lord. Lord, you know. I know you know. I've got to do this. Got real quiet. Okay. They run after all this. Who does? Pagans. I love you. I love you, church family. I love you watching online. But hear what I'm trying to say to you in this moment. If you're running after the dollar and not keeping God number one in your life, that's what the pagans did. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Oh, man. But seek first his kingdom. First? First. Okay, first. Seek first his kingdom. I'm not trying to belittle anybody. I just want you to understand this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all. Everyone say all. Come on, if you're online, type in all. All these things. All of what things? All the stuff he was just talking about. What you will eat, what you will wear. I'll give it to you. I'm a good God. But can I give it to you? Can you stop trying to make things happen on your own? Will you please put me first? I won't apologize for this. Our culture doesn't put God first. And it's sad that even the church doesn't put God first. Not you all, but maybe. Maybe you're watching this later. 
I'm going to tell you, friends, I can't tell you how much I wrestle in my spirit over this. I want you to hear me. People are going to leave churches because pastors are going to stand on a stage and be bold enough to say, you, you need to put God first. And they're going to get upset and they're going to leave. I'm telling you. You want to know why I love so deeply? It's because that's how God wired me. And it's how God wired you. Do you want to know why community is so important? It's because together we can do far more than we could on our own. And I, I'm telling you, I'm not mad in any way, but I'm concerned. I'm concerned if the church doesn't take personal responsibility to be the church, then we will not leave any mark in our community. We will come to church on Sunday and have our service, and then we'll go home until next Sunday. And that is not what the church was designed for. I'm telling you, church, I know it by the Spirit of God. If all of us would take the responsibility to put God first, I'm telling you, God will move. I'm telling you, these seats will be full. I'm telling you, these altars will be filled with lost people. I'm telling you that not today will we not only just baptize one, we'll baptize many. But until we start putting God first in everything, you say, do I have to prove something to God? You say, Pastor, I don't know how to answer that. I'll put it in other terms. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. Obey my word. What did Jesus just say? Put me first. So I'm going to ask you. You wrestle with this. Don't get mad at me. Remember, I got to stand before God someday and give an account for everything I preach from this pulpit. In the book of James, I'm not trying to say poor me, but I will be judged stricter because I am a teacher of God's word. And you know what? I'm okay with that. But I'm telling you, if you don't put God in your schedule and everything else, you're not putting God first. If you don't put God first in your money, then you're not putting God first. I'm telling you right now, if you don't put God first in your month and in your year, I'm telling you, you're going to be like the pagans who had to go, 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 go. And you'll be exhausted and you'll be tired and whatever you get, it won't satisfy. But if you put God first, ah, all those things, they're yours. And guess what? It's so good that you've got so much that you now get to give it away to everyone else. Does that sound like heaven to somebody? Does that sound like the way that we want God to use us? That if you're in the room or you're watching online, put them first and watch what happens.